Welcome to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. I'm your host, Timmy G, providing your weekly dose of insight and inspiration for mental and emotional well-being. Are you ready for your weekly brain bath? Let's go. Mental health news from around the globe. talk. I'm your host, Timmy G. Today is World Mental Health Day. Our first article in the news comes from Time.com, Time Magazine. Back in 1988, when psychiatrist Dr. Bharat Vatwani and his wife saw a young, mentally ill man wandering the streets of Mumbai, they took him back to their new nursing home, restored him to health, and eventually reunited him with his loved ones. By August 2018, When the 60-year-old flew to Manila to collect the Raymond Magsese Award, which is the Asian equivalent of the Nobel Peace Prize, his foundation had reunited more than 7,000 destitute people suffering from mental illnesses with their families. A fairly paltry and insignificant number given the magnitude of the problem, Vatwani tells Time. Though global attitudes to mental illness are changing, in India the topic remains a social taboo and is stigmatized to the extent that majority of those suffering from it don't admit they have a problem. A 2015 survey commissioned by the government of India showed that while nearly 150 million Indians need mental health care, less than 30 million seek help. Ahead of World Mental Health Day, which is today, October the 10th, Vatwani spoke with time on the motivation behind his work. Why does he think that mental illness continues to be taboo in India? He says lack of awareness. It is a lack of scientific knowledge which is the stumbling block. A visit to a temple in Kerala in South India, apparently famous for curing mental illness, saw me personally witnessing 27 mentally ill people being brought there in the span of 30 minutes. That shows that there is hope, concern, and compassion for the mentally ill, but it is misdirected. Next question was, according to a recent World Health Organization report, there has been a dip in the number of mental health caregivers in India. Why do you think that is? The good doctor goes on to say it's mainly because of a massive brain drain and emigration of Indian psychiatrists to apparently greener pastures abroad. The number of Indian psychiatrists in both the UK and the US supersedes the number of Indian psychiatrists in India. A disappointing truth, but a truth nevertheless. Cases of psychiatric problems are mounting in developed countries too. So Indian mental health professionals fill the voids in their systems, leaving our country to bleed psychiatrically. Next question posed was, a lot of prominent celebrities have come out and spoken about dealing with clinical depression and other mental illnesses, do you think that is a welcome step? He says, I believe any any celebrity coming forward and acknowledging that he or she has had mental health issues does bring mental illness out of the closet and into the streets. By acknowledgement of their mental problems, they make the common citizens who aspire to be them and often emulate them take cognizance of their own mental weaknesses, accept them, address them, and learn to move on. 
You're not just a psychiatrist, but a psychiatrist who reunites mentally ill destitute with their families. How did that come about? Doctor goes on to say, One day while sitting in a restaurant, my wife and I noticed a young boy who was horribly skinny, dirty, and in really bad shape. We realized that he was schizophrenic, and just while we were watching, he picked up an empty coconut uh, picked up an empty coconut shell that was next to him, dipped it into the sewage gutter nearby, and drank the wastewater. That was the turning point of our lives. Spontaneously, we crossed the road, helped him to come with us, and brought him to our nursing home. We nursed him, treated him with appropriate psychiatric medicines, and gradually he improved. He turned out to be a Bachelor of Science grad whose father was a senior administrative official. Mental illness can affect the best of the best and reduce a person to pathetically inhuman conditions. And suddenly we realized that there was no organization dealing with such people. When my wife and I went to the Philippines, we saw the mentally ill wandering the roads. The psychiatrist with whom we interacted there acknowledged and accepted their presence. It is ultimately a worldwide phenomenon, but perhaps more so developing nations with their asymmetrical distribution of wealth. How he feels about being honored with the Raymond Magsaysay Award, the Asian version of the Nobel Peace Prize, he says, My honest, heartfelt opinion is that I do not deserve the award. All my life I have felt that what I have done is inadequate for the cause of the wandering mentally ill. I could have done more, and I should have done more. On World Mental Health Day, what message would you like to give to people who are suffering alone and to other people in general? Dr. Vatwani says, The mental illness that causes a destitute person to end up on the roads is not of his or her own making. The wandering mentally ill are shunned, rejected, and denied. They brave the chilling winters, the searing summers, and the torrential rains for months, years, often decades on end, and continue to be shunned, rejected, and denied. But this is what we need to remember. We sail in the same boat. Some are less mentally disturbed, some more than others. But each one of us is searching for his piece of sunshine, and each one of us occasionally succumbs to his or her own darkness. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. Our next article is from... Where are we from? TheGuardian.com. This is a joint op-ed with Lady Gaga and Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, who is the Director General of the World Health Organization. Lady Gaga, as you know, is a pop star and also co-founder of the Born This Way Foundation. Together, they have written that by the time you finish reading this article, at least six people will have killed themselves around the world. Those six are a tiny fraction of the 800,000 people who will kill themselves this year, more than the population of Washington, D.C., Oslo, or Cape Town. Sometimes they are famous names such as Anthony Bourdain or Kate Spade that make headlines, but they are all sons or daughters, friends or colleagues, valued members of families and communities. Suicide is the most extreme and visible symptom of the larger mental health emergency we are so far failing to adequately address. Stigma, fear, and lack of understanding compound the suffering of those affected, 
and prevent the bold action that is so desperately needed and so long overdue. One in four of us will have to deal with a mental health condition at some point in our lives. And if we're not directly affected, someone we care for is likely to be. Our young people are particularly vulnerable, with suicide being the second leading cause of death globally among 15 to 29-year-olds, and half of all mental illness beginning by the age of 14. Yet despite the universality of the issue, we struggle to talk about it openly or to offer adequate care or resources. Within families and communities, we often remain silenced by a shame that tells us that those with mental illness are somehow less worthy or at fault for their own suffering. Instead of treating those facing mental health conditions with the compassion we would offer to someone with a physical injury or illness, we ostracize, blame, and condemn. In too many places, support services are non-existent and those with treatable conditions are criminalized, literally chained up in inhumane conditions, cut off from the rest of society without hope. Mental health currently receives less than 1% of global aid. Domestic financing on prevention, promotion, and treatment is similarly low. At present, every nation in the world is a developing country when it comes to mental health. Such paltry investment is not just bad for individuals, it is destructive for, destructive for communities and undermines economies. Mental health conditions cost the world $2.5 trillion a year, a figure that is expected to balloon to $6 trillion by 2030 unless we take action. We can no longer afford to be silenced by stigma or stymied by misguided ideas that portray these conditions as a matter of weakness or moral failing. Research shows there is a fourfold return on investment for every dollar spent on treating depression and anxiety, the most common mental health conditions, making spending on the issue a great investment for both political leaders and employers, in addition to generating savings in the health sector. The time has come for us all, collectively, to tackle the causes and symptoms of mental illness and provide care for those who suffer from it. You don't have to be an international artist or the head of the World Health Organization to make an impact. We can all help to build communities that understand, respect, and prioritize mental wellness. We can all learn how to offer support to loved ones going through a difficult time. And we can all be part of a new movement, including people who have faced mental illness themselves, to call on governments and industry to put mental health at the top of their agendas. In Zimbabwe, grandmothers are leading the way by offering evidence-based counseling sessions on benches, which is helping break down stigma. In the United Kingdom and Australia, peer-to-peer -peer education programs encourage young people to support one another. And mobile technology is providing exciting new platforms for delivering services and opening up healthy dialogue. Since 2013, the World Health Organization has been working with countries to implement a global action plan on mental health. Earlier this year, the World Health Organization published the Glo Global Mental Health Atlas, which provides information from 177 countries on progress toward achieving the plan's targets. The key takeaway is that although there has been some progress, we need significant investments to expand services. Meaningful and sustained government leadership is essential, and some governments are beginning to step up, from Sri Lanka, where the government has established a dedicated mental health care framework and funded positions to support community-based mental health care, to New York City, where Thrive NYC has brought local leaders together to build a comprehensive mental health plan. 
This week, on the day of the UK Summit on Mental Health and World Mental Health Day, a panel of international experts will publish in The Lancet the most comprehensive collection of research ever produced on how to promote and protect mental health and treat mental illness. This will provide the scientific foundation for scaling up global action on mental health, similar to the movement for HIV-AIDS, which the UN adopted in 2001. That movement helped save millions of lives and is an illustration of the potential for collective human action to tackle seemingly insurmountable problems. The two of us, Dr. Tedros Anaham Gabrisis and Lady Gaga, have taken different paths in life, but both of them have seen how political leadership, funding, innovation, and individual acts of bravery and compassion can change the world. It is time to do the same for mental health. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. In 2017, CFRC Radio celebrates 95 years of creating Campus Community Radio in Kingston, Ontario. Over the last 95 years, CFRC's governance has evolved. Once supervised by Queen's University and later by Queen's Alma Mater Society, since 2014, CFRC has been an independent, self-governing, not-for-profit organization. Its board of directors has representation from Queen's University, the AMS and SGPS, CFRC Radio Club, and the Kingston community. Learn more about CFRC, Canada's longest-running campus and community radio station at cfrc.ca. Telephone Aid Line Kingston is a crisis, distress, befriending, and information listening service based in Kingston. Talk is confidential, non-judgmental, and anonymous. We are a safe place to call when you don't know where to turn. To reach our aid line between 7 p.m. and 3 a.m., call 613-544-1771. For volunteering information, please email talkrecruitment at gmail.com. Let's get personal. Our talk feature interview. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome to the show Dennis Combe. Dennis has a very fascinating story that I think you're going to find really interesting. And he's a former public servant who at one time found himself homeless. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Timothy. So take us back in time. What can you tell us about your early days as a young lad? Uh, Well, I was uh, born with a military father, so I found myself bouncing around a lot. Uh, By the time I turned 12 years old, I had lived in 10 different places. Wow. And how did that, did you, as a, can you remember as a young lad, did did that, did you enjoy that? Did you find that hard as a young person? Yeah, well, it was the catch-22 kind of thing. I mean, I loved it as a kid. Uh, I got to start school kindergarten in Germany. So I, you know, conversant in French and German and English kind of thing and uh, loved the adventure having the Black Forest right there and everything. But uh, 
as I grew older, I kind of noticed how I lacked attachment to, or was always thinking that uh, everything could change at any moment and uh, I'd have to pull up all my roots and make all new friends all over again. Okay. And and when did you, so where, where were you born? Uh, Welland, Ontario. And then in high school, did you spend a certain number of years in one spot during your high school years or were you bouncing around at that point too? Well, actually, high school was the most stable period of my life uh, because that was the year before I started high school. My father retired from the military, and I went to one school right from grade 9 to grade 13. So pretty consistent. Yeah, that was, as I say, quite, quite, quite a stable period as far as housing goes, but that's when I started delving into the drinking and the smoking and uh, those aspects of uh and for you, did those things, was your use of them, you know, similar to everybody else's normal average use, or did you delve into them a little bit deeper? Well, most of the time they were, but uh, sometimes I went a little too far and behaved in ways that uh, other people and I found quite embarrassing and uh, not forthcoming. And so at what point did you enter the work world? Uh, that was when I was about 20. I had uh, started college, and but my drinking got in the way of that because it turns out I was at college more to party than uh, actually get an education. Hmm. And so did you complete at that time? No, I finished a year and a half of a two-year program and found myself looking for a job <laughs> and then and then how old were you when you became a public servant uh 22 22 so yeah pretty young yeah yeah i bounced around a bit i actually got had a good job in toronto but uh, it was too expensive there and quickly found myself moving uh from kingston to ottawa to ottawa okay and then at what point did you, how long were you a public servant for? Uh, 15 years. 15 years, good stretch. Yeah, yeah it wasn't bad. That was uh, two different positions, a 10-year and a, a five-year stretch. One with the military and one with Canada Pension Old Age Security. Uh, but I learned a lot, worked with a lot of good people. Uh, it was pretty hard to work under a system where Nobody, none of your co-workers actually had any decision in the direction of the company, but, <laughs> hmm. but, but it was, it paid well. I was able to start a family and buy a house and all those, you know, normal kind of things. And was your, your drinking throughout your time as a public servant, did you, do you know, did you notice that it was increasing or were you maintaining it or you know everything was doing doing okay how was that yeah for the first five or six years it was all sewn together pretty tightly but uh, as i look back it took me years afterwards to realize that it was uh, my children it was the stress of parenthood that caused me to fall into a depression and start to doubt my own ability hmm so that would have been your first experience with depression in life, you think, looking back? Yeah, because I was I was spending 
spending a lot of my time and energy digging a hole for myself, crashing cars and acting like an asshole and things like that. Hmm. And how does, how, at what point does the homelessness side of this intersect your path? Well, that's, that's uh, after, uh, after you've messed up enough times and uh, made enough bad decisions, it all comes to fruition and ends up all in front of your face at the same time. And there I was with nobody, nowhere to go. Hmm. And... You ended up at the Ottawa Mission, I'm right? Yes, yes, I did. Um, is it is it hard to, to think back on some of this stuff? Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, I've, I've, <clears throat> I've thought about it many times, but uh, never as clearly as when asked nice, direct questions uh, like you're doing. Hmm. Are we okay to continue? Sure, no problem. Thanks. Take... Okay. Yeah. So you're at, you 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 end up at the Ottawa Mission and kind of maybe take us through your initial feelings and perspective on finding yourself there. Well, it uh, it took quite a while. I mean, it's uh, enough of a shock when you arrive that. Uh, things that you've never seen before quite a wide variety of personalities and uh, different uh, issues at play constantly day and all night so after a while I developed a thick skin realized as long as I kept to myself and uh, tried to find some direction it would all pay off in the end and uh, it did it did hmm. and you know one of the things that I find fascinating about this and, and just in the interest of, of transparency for our, our listeners um, Dennis and I met at the Ottawa Mission that's where I was an, an addictions and mental health counselor for a period of time and that's how Dennis and I originally met and we've kept in touch which you know in, in a very cool way has led to this interview today but but working in that capacity and meeting people like Dennis and and many others you know, I, I'd always been fascinated by the homelessness question, seeing people on the streets and just being so curious about how they got there and, you know, where were their families and did they have family left? And, you know, just so much curiosity and wanting to learn about those stories. But but then being at the mission and getting a chance to learn about people's stories. And I think it's for a lot of people that look at homelessness they look at people and think, oh, you know, they're just they're just a drunk or they're just lazy. If they could just pull their pull their stuff together, they'd be uh, they'd be fine. And a lot of the times in your story is purely an example of that where, you know, if you want to say, quote unquote, middle class, average class, upper class people of all of all stripes that this type of thing can happen to anybody that that when we're going through life and we're we're, we're buying the house and we're having families and raising kids and and working jobs and dealing with the stress of life we don't know how all those things are going to impact us at any given time and it it's by by listening to your story and knowing some things about you you know things can kind of start to unravel 
quicker than maybe we ever anticipated. And, and it, yeah, it, it can happen to anybody. Do you see that with a lot of the people that you met through your time at the mission? Oh, oh definitely. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it, it can happen to any person in any level kind of thing, regardless of background, upbringing. You know, I, I saw a lot of people who had, you know, suffered different kinds of uh, abuse as a child. You know, any kind of, a lot of military children, you know, due to that trauma of never knowing what's next, that anything could change and anything does end up changing all the time. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a far-reaching kind of problem that uh, happens to any type of person at any time. And how, if I may ask this, how how difficult was it to finally begin to move into a place within yourself and also, I guess, a sense of peace with your surroundings to be able to marry those two and, and start to make progress in a in a definite kind of way or in a in a real kind of way well uh, a lot of that was thanks to you uh, when I took on your services as a life coach I, I took me a little while I don't know if it was a matter of months but uh, to realize that I was right where uh, all my decisions had put me in life now that I was and it was empowering to realize that if I could feel better about myself and start to back myself up, I'd feel good. I'd, you know, I'd have some direction. I'd start to see rewards. It's, uh, yeah, it's been, I've had some challenges, you know, since then. But, uh, but no, I'm, I'm happier now than I've been at any point in my life. Wow. That's great to hear. Because we haven't, I mean, we've been in, in minimal contact over the years since I left Ottawa. But it's uh, wonderful to hear that. And and it's wonderful for our listeners to know that, you know, no matter where you find yourself in life, that if there's a couple of people around that are caring and interested in seeing you get better, that 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 you can get better. Last week, last week we, we had a girl on, her name was Krista, and she was an addict, drug, heavy drug addict user for quite a few years and has been clean and sober for eight years. And um, again, she, you know, she came from a good family, had an average high school experience, had lots of friends, and... I think there's this perception that anybody that turns into a drug addict or reaches these lower rungs in life that they must have had a terrible upbringing. And it's really not the case. Again, we don't know how life is going to, how life is going to unfold. And we just have to deal with, deal with it as it comes in the best way that we know how. And, um, so today, how are you, how do you manage your life 
Actually, before we get to that question, I wanted to ask you about the whole area of resentments and forgiveness. Did you have to go through any healing, if you will, in the area of releasing some resentments or bitterness toward people, places, or things in your life and, and go through some of that stuff? powerful because it 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 reinforces that notion that if you're willing to take responsibility for your life then inadvertently by doing that you're reclaiming power in your life as well is that what you're kind of describing in a way And today, do you, how do you, how do you go about today managing your life differently than you did years ago? Well, I'm a, I'm a lot calmer now. You know, I used to run around all the time chasing things that uh, weren't good for me. A lot, of, a lot of things were, but now my whole focus is on me. I don't, I don't do anything unless I want to. And, uh, my life's become a lot better. Spend a lot of time with my children, uh, you know, with people that are good with me, kind of thing, and that uh, want the best for me, hmm. instead of with people that are there for their own undoing. And Dennis, do you think that you know, given the years that you've lived and what you've learned through those years? the ups, the downs, the wisdom that you've gleaned throughout that time and continue to do so, do you think that there's any... Do you think that anybody could have said anything to you earlier than than that moment when you started to listen? Like, do you think that sometimes it's... What am I trying to say? Can can things be said to people to to expedite their willingness to make a change and get healthy or heal or get better, or is it more so that it's just the the painful consequences of their decisions that ultimately bring brings us to our knees at some point? Yeah, you know that's that's a really good question because it's it's you know everybody's on their own path. Uh, information. You know, if I could, I can't count the number of times people said all the things to me 25 years ago that I didn't really hear until five years ago. But, you know, 
No, you know, all I can hope is that, you know, everybody's got a good soul. There's there's somewhere inside them they know the difference between right and wrong. They just need to start applying that mostly to themselves so they start making more mature, responsible, accountable decisions and all of those, each good decision is a step forward and all those little steps forward add up to direction so that you can continue to follow your path instead of just whirling around in nothingness. But everybody has a different time that they get to that point in life, so I wish everybody a good journey and hope, you know, if you're making good decisions, continue with you know, if your choices are leading you in directions you never wanted to go, take a take a pause, take a time out, do a self check, and find out who you are, and only then can you figure out where you're going. Mm. And what what what's your hope for the next ten twenty years? I know that's a, a big projection, but but you know how. In terms of making an impact in the world, and I don't, I don't mean that in some grand scale. I mean, I, I, I think the, the the biggest impacts that we we can make are the the smallest gestures that we do uh, in any given day with the people that are down the street from us. It doesn't have to be some global concept. Um, how do you hope to make an impact in your in your own life and and also in in the lives of those around you in the in the coming years well i just hope to continue to be a positive uh, influence and have a good healthy relationship with my children my what my whole raison d'etre is right now is to keep my children happy and make sure that they're you know they they know where i've been and we had some strained years and things but we're now best friends because they know, you know, that, that uh, I'm a good person and that hope wins every race, every time. But just keep hope alive. Mm. That's fine. I'm, I'm a good guy now. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not out being destructive to myself and therefore no contribution to society kind of thing. That uh, if I can keep my own backyard clean and non-weedy, then my influence on the world will be a good thing. Amen. Absolutely. And I love what you said, hope wins every race. And that's beautiful, a beautiful statement. And I know you've made a huge impact today by, by sharing your story and, and being vulnerable and being real and opening up your, yourself to us and our listeners uh, for the purpose of being a, a an example of what's been and what can be and uh that's a beautiful thing so i just want to thank you deeply dennis for sharing with us today and um maybe we'll catch up again in the future it's uh, totally my pleasure timothy and uh, thanks so much for what you've done for my life great this is another edition of talk on cfrc 101.9 fm and on the web at cfrc.ca I'd now like to play some music from some local musicians. First up, we have Gerald Gabriel, recently released an album. This is Indian Road.
That was Kingston musician and retired military man Gerald Gabriel with Indian Road. And now we're going to hear from him again with a song called Jarhead Joe on his album just recently come out. You are listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. Just makes another door, makes another door. Where you go with? Jahead Joe, where you go with? Jahead Joe, where you go with? Jahead Joe, where you go with? Joe, where you go with? 
local musician Gerald Gabriel with Jarhead Joe from his recent album, Bullets and Blood. You are listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web at CFRC.ca. I said last week that 2018 will be a year focused on forgiveness. Forgiving yourself and forgiving others. If it's yourself that you feel that you really need to forgive for past things committed, not committed, things not accomplished. Maybe you're looking at your life today and you're like, I'm just not really where I expected to be. And maybe you're holding yourself hostage to a prison of beliefs around what that means and your capabilities. And, you know, 2018 would be a good, right now, beginning this year would be a good time to step back and think, I'm carrying around this this baggage, these these feelings of self-recrimination for, you know, things I've done to myself or not accomplished, and or things that I have perpetrated, said to other people that has created tension, that has maybe ruined relationships, broken up relationships that we've had. And I said last week, too, that the movie Devil, there's a scene in that movie from 2010 where one of the characters says to another fella, your ability to forgive is going to determine the quality of the rest of your life. And I really believe in that, too. Bitterness and resentment can really take root in our lives and create this cynical, kind of aloof orientation that we we convey in our mannerisms and what we say and how we act and even what we don't say. And all of that can kind of gradually change us, turn us into different people. And we just, we don't want to face the hurt that maybe we have committed or another has committed toward us or maybe another has committed towards somebody that we love and we are feeling that it's necessary to hold that person accountable in some shape or form by continuing to believe that they're a bad person or that that act is unforgivable. And really the hallmark of a spiritually evolved, emotionally mature, intellectually astute individual is to find the courage and the power and to be brave and to forgive. And 2018 is a perfect year to work on those chains that hold you down. You may not see that they're holding you down, but I can assure you if there's bitterness, if there's people that you don't feel at peace with in your life, then there are chains. You just don't see them, and they are clinging to you as you go through life and limiting your fulfillment, the quality of your experience. So I want to encourage you strongly to begin to take notes, jot down ideas, whether it has to do with yourself and or another person, and how you can begin this process of moving closer toward forgiveness. In my own, in my, a book that I wrote about my own journey with a mental health issue, I talk about forgiveness and the three people that I had to forgive, including myself, so three people plus myself, 
I went to see this speaker years ago, downtown Ottawa, in the basement of a library, and he had said, generally we need to forgive about three other people in our life, primary people, including ourselves. AMHS KFLA's vocational services connect employers with skilled workers recovering from mental health challenges. This free program offers individual assessments, job preparation training, and placement. Employers are matched with qualified, reliable workers and receive ongoing support for hires as they lead their lives in positive new directions. For more information, call 613-544-1356 or visit amhs-kfla.ca. If you like great music from the 60s and 70s, and good covers. Listen to Frankly Speaking, music to tickle your memory bone on Fridays at 1 p.m. on CFRC Radio. Hello, I'm Tamara Cicerella, a counselor serving area residents who live with addictions or mental health concerns. Deeply committed workers like me assist people in reaching their recovery goals. On April 1st, Addictions and Mental Health Services in Kingston and Frontenac joins Lennox and Addicton in offering confidential, quality services. Addictions Mental Health Services, Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox and Addington is committed to providing the best possible services to all who need it. For more information in Kingston and Frontenac, call 613-544-1356 or in Lennox and Addington, 613-354-7388. This has been another edition of Talk with Timmy G on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. If you have any questions or feedback or would like to be featured on the show, please email me at info at timothydgoche.com. That's info at timothydgauther.com. Every Thursday from 7 to 8.30, I facilitate a free drop-in group called MindWell. It's a support group for anybody dealing with burnout, stress, anxiety. Again, that's every Thursday from 7 to 8.30. The address, 1111 Taylor Kidd Boulevard at St. Paul the Apostle. Until next week, be smart, be safe.
Tell me it gets better, it gets better in time You say I pull myself together, pull it together, you'll be fine Tell me what the hell do you know, what do you know Tell me how the hell could you
comes to you, you don't know how I feel, how I feel. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.